You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Last week I spent a fair amount of time trying to lay out more or less what this practice is about. And I really kind of focused a fair amount of attention on how there's a problem, there's a cause to the problem, and there's a way out of the problem. And that problem itself is that we suffer. No matter how hard we try, no matter how you know much money or how many things we have or how much joy we get from a particular relationship, or how much uh, spiritual bliss we seem to experience, whatever it is, it never seems quite like enough, or at least it doesn't sustain us totally. There's still always something more. And this always something more um, feeling was hit on time and time again by all the mystics from all the, you know, the... uh, wisdom technologies or wisdom traditions, whatever we might want to call them, uh, that uh, there's always something right around the corner, there's always something else. And as these fearless men and women who decided to kind of walk this path of really exploring that, and they, in fact, we, we have a term for it, a fancy term we call enlightenment, these uh, men and women who kind of just jumped in and said, you know, I'm not moving until I uncover what this truth beyond name and form is. Oddly enough, they're all pointing to exactly the same thing. And that is that this whole idea, this whole space where we begin to struggle and just, you know, internalize and externalize torment comes from some very, very simple, uh, places. And first among these is separation. (coughs) We tend to feel totally alienated and atomized from the rest of the world. Indeed, if you look at most of our drives, be it a drive for food, water, sex, okay, uh, fulfillment, love, realization, whatever it is, All those drives are about merging and acquiring something. Spiritual mergers and acquisitions, that's what we're talking about here. (laughs) But if you really think about it, I mean, what do we long for most of all? What is the deepest longing that we might have? Well, it depends on our perspective. It depends on our situation. It might be the deepest longing that you have is bread. It might be the deepest longing that you have is some type of, like I mentioned, spiritual fulfillment or deeper connectivity with a particular person or a particular group of people or, in fact, maybe even all beings. But it's this idea of no longer feeling so dang separate. It's this relationship with this perceived separation 
that acts as this major roadblock to awakening to the truth, as I've yammered on about, beyond name and form. And that truth is a very, very simple truth. It's not my truth. It's certainly not any person's truth. It's the truth that all things are one. All things are infused with an equal amount of spirit. And we can even look at the physics behind this. If you cut everything up enough, what do you get? You get subatomic particles and space. Subatomic particles themselves are born from and die into, we suppose, either themselves or space itself. Everything is related. The twist in my DNA, in your DNA, is exactly the same as the twist in the Milky Way. So within, so without, you know, that whole thing. So this truth, this truth that all things are one, <clears throat> instead of feeling that I am in here and everything else is out there, moving from that space, from I'm in here, everything else is out there, to all things are the radiant flow of emptiness. All things are opening to, from, through, and with God. That leap is about that far. It's a tiny amount to jump, but we have ways of turning that tiny amount into miles. So I kind of wanted to talk about this idea of separation. How more than anything else, we want to feel connected. The feeling of love itself is a, just almost an unsurpassably beautiful sense of deep connectivity. We notice this especially with children, I think. Um, it tends to kind of unconditionally evolve. It tends to, not always. Uh, but we can just always have this very, very clear sense of uh, wholeness in relationship to children. That's a very obvious way we can kind of connect to this idea. But when we operate from a position of separation, as in I am here and each of you is out there, that's our, I mean, we have a lot of biological apparatus that help us believe that. That despite the fact that we are all basically the subatomic spin, that instead of seeing that in addition to the fact that we are separate people, we tend to only see that we are separate people in separate situations. And that right there is what creates uh, war. Varying degrees. But that's the birth of war right there when we feel that we are actually separate. Okay? Well, to be fair, we are separate. Okay? But that's not the whole story. And this practice 
is about fleshing out that whole story. It's about actually contextualizing it in a way that allows us to see ourselves in others and others in ourselves and taking that gap that we feel between self and other and merging it. And in this way, we can begin to actually feel a warm-hearted, open compassion towards all beings. And from that place of compassion, that a, a compassionate recognition of oneness, we actually change the world. So I believe that this practice is actually quite revolutionary and quite active in its approach, as opposed to, um, you know, where we just kind of sit back and, you know, on our cushion and don't do anything. Um, that's fine. That uh, is a necessary step. There's a necessary step to literally sit on that cushion and recognize, my gosh, all things are perfect. I don't have to do anything. That's a great recognition, but do not attach to it. Move on, okay? And that moving on means go back into the world or come back down off the mountain into the day-to-day -day with new eyes, new ears, okay? New mind, new heart, something that is much more expansive. So just to go over a few terms here real quick, I use the, uh, the word ego a great deal. And ego is that sense in us that feels separate. And feeling separate is not so much the big deal as much as our attachment to that feeling as being totally real. That's the problem the problem or the thing, the impediment, the thing that gets in the way of a radical spiritual awakening is clinging. It's attaching. Okay? It doesn't take too much to really kind of explore that and go, huh, yeah, I guess actually that, that is pretty much the cause of every single bit of pain I've ever felt in my life, be it emotional or physical. If we are attached to the permanence of a body that feels healthy and perfect and everything. We, we attach to that, which is pretty dang normal, okay? And something threatens that, immediately we kind of go into the space of suffering, of pain. If something throws us emotionally, some tragedy happens, everything was going along just great, and then all of a sudden, whammo! If we do our best, which is very natural, to cling and preserve that place of emotional stability. And then suddenly the universe throws something at us that gets in the way, we suffer. So ego's job is to make sure, or our another way I could say this, is our separate self-sense, its job, is to ensure total stability and control in the face of a continual onslaught of the universe 
and the universe itself is nothing other than change. So you can see this model where you have this little piece, the eye sense, the separate self sense, okay, in the face of an entire universe that's bombarding it with nothing other than change. And what is it trying to do? Hold up against it. And it will inevitably lose. Either through old age or sickness or accident, the separate self-sense will lose in the face eventually of something that the universe will throw at it. So, our relationship then, once again, is an addiction to that fight against the onslaught of the universe. That's our work. That's what we see ourselves, our separate self-sense. That's its job. It's to create a bunker. It's to create a fort. It's to create the brick house so that the wolf cannot blow it down okay that's its job and it fights to do that all the time okay its activity is so simple it is to go after things that will help it build that fortress and avoid things that will weaken it and we spend our days in that tilt grab avoid grab avoid Attached to this, attached to this. We just continually are grasping. And when we sit still in meditation, it's the chance, and it may be fleeting, where we can just not grasp anything. Where we rest to the point where we recognize that instead of the universe coming at us from every single angle as a threat, instead it comes at us at every single angle as a support. And that things ultimately are absolutely perfect as they are. Nothing is more perfect than oneness. And that oneness starts to just reveal itself in the space between our thoughts if we can get still enough. That oneness reveals itself as stillness itself. So I guess the best way to kind of put this, at least for me, what helped me was when I had um, a teacher just explain that freeing ourself from our identification with ego opens up some pretty magical things. Instead of living what we might call a life that is caught in circumstances, we live a life that is on the outside of that. A life that is ultimate, an ultimate life that is, you know, not separate from the circumstantial life, but it is never caught by it. Just like when we are witnessing our thoughts, we're witnessing our feelings in meditation. That which is witnessing the thoughts and feelings is not caught by the thoughts and feelings. And this is the radical openness that Christ talked about when he said, Behold the lilies, see how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. 
Oh, I mean, what a beautiful way to say that. It's such a great, in my view, just this great way of suggesting to us a still quietude, just being present for the eloquence of that silence, for that radiant shimmer of what we truly are. So when we walk this path towards this, towards the shimmer, um, we begin to uncover what we call the ultimate life. The ultimate life is something that starts to present itself in ways that can really be quite shocking or really be very, very subtle. The trick is, or actually rather than the trick, I should say perhaps the uh, gift that a stillness practice, e either contemplative prayer or sitting, uh, or walking meditation, whatever it might happen to be, what this does is it, in essence, kind of readies us. It readies us for spirit. It readies us for an ultimate life instead of a uh, circumstantial prison. Might be a beautiful prison. The cell might be gorgeous, okay? But it still can act eventually as a prison to each of us. We begin to uncover the very part of us as we walk this path that is totally aware, that is totally still, that is totally loving, and totally stable. It's an immovable, resonant uh, space or spaciousness. And it doesn't leave. Plotinus, the uh, Christian mystic, um, said about this very thing. He said, uh, it is not deserted its creation for a place apart. It is always present to those with strength to touch it. I'll say that again. You can also look at this as spirit. It has not deserted its creation for a place apart. It is always present to those with strength to touch it. How do we develop that strength? We sit still. We find the silence between the words that are spoken to us. We find the silence in the words between the words that we speak. We find the stillness that informs all of our motion, all of our activity. we find an openness that allows us to expand from a circumstantial life to an ultimate life. And this perspective, while often hard won, uh, this new perspective uh, brings with it a tremendous recognition of a connectivity that was never separate except in our own minds. It's as if we begin to um, see things that we always knew were there. Instead of being in a contracted state, we begin to open to what we knew was always already present. We begin to disidentify 
with our alienation, with our separation, and we begin to have a very loose identification, almost a, a, a swimming type of experience within something much bigger. We don't uh, become caught by thought, as I've said. Suzuki Roshi talks about this when he says, in the beginner's mind there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind there are few. We lose that in us which we feel is an expert. We, in other words, allow ego to sit down. It's okay. That separate self-sense gives way instead of division Instead of alienation, atomization, it gives way to something rich that can never be totally, totally spent. And this is, as, as we live from this place, we begin to live as divinity. Something we've always already had. Something we've never been apart from. Something that has always always been there. I just want to ask, is there any way to access this talk other than an iPod? Yeah. Okay, what is it? Go to infinitesmile.org. Yeah. Click on the title. Oh, okay. the, the title of the talk. What's the title of this talk? I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? What's a good title? <laughs> It'll have a date. Okay. It'll have a date. You, oh, just great. you just click on the title or it says click here to listen to the talk. Okay. Yeah. And does it show up in print too? No. No. I'm not that fancy. Okay. Yet. <laughs> you could Xerox your notes. Um, I think you would find that I didn't really go adhere too closely to them. I, I was kind of looking. I had some good the quotes there I, I read from, but uh, it's also important to not attach to the talk. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean don't go ahead. I mean, I put it up there so, so people can, can listen to it and so forth. But if we attach to the talk, we ultimately defile it. Just like if we try to grasp onto a flower, we ultimately defile it. Now keep in mind, Kath, this does not mean don't listen. No, I know. <laughs> I need to hear some yeah, of the information. You got it. I'm not attaching to it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Be my guest. Go for it. Cling away. Oh, yes. About the, when you said there's a twist in the Milky Way and there's a twist in our DNA, is that actually true? Is th Are there all these, I know about chaos theory a little bit, but mm -hmm. are there all these kind of... Uh, it's all the same math. You know, I mean, a spiral is a spiral. Mm -hmm. 
anyway, anyway, you uh, you uncover it mathematically, you know, and it's really easy to get like, I mean, the disease here potentially is to get hyper intellectual about this, which is not not the point. It's to it's to recognize that uh, the I, th I guess it was Immanuel Kant who said that uh, the stars within are equal to the stars without, or something like that. And that's such a great way of recognizing that truth that I was talking about. That there is separation, but the separation is all mind made. Every single feeling that we have, for instance, every feeling that we have is interpreted and categorized by our minds. Every thought that we have is interpreted and categorized by, by our minds, and we make it into a personal story. And what the meditation or stillness practice does is it begins to remind us of everything in the universe that is impersonal. Instead of our personal sense of things, it reminds us of the impersonal nature of everything, right? Or another way of putting this is instead of the circumstantial life where we're caught by circumstances, it reminds us of the ultimate life that is beyond our own uh, time on earth. It's a direct connection with the that aha moment of, oh, and it might be that small or it might be, you know, a big bang going off inside of you. Um, uh, either way, awakening itself is just the recognition or awakening to that ultimate life. This could just be a comment, but then it might raise one for you. Um, this whole idea is reminiscent to me of the experience that I had going skydiving in the sense that you don't really appreciate walking on the ground until you sort of know what it's like to not walk on the ground. Mm -hmm. Then when you get back to it, there's a whole new perspective. It's almost the same idea, but just without the physical moment of diving out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, in your mind, really taking that leap away from sort of everything that you know and everything that you've sort of come to expect in one one way only. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Do without what you want. I don't want to do anything with that because I think that's so well said. This practice is about that leap. You know, let me be really clear. You can approach this on a couple of different levels. I mean, the easiest, of course, is to hang out with a group of people who you kind of like and, um, you know, you just once a week, I take a break from everything. I, you know, I put, you know, the, the husband's got the kids or the wife's got the kids and the dog has been walked and fed and everything. And I can just take this, you know, an hour and a half with the infinite smile sangha and sit still. That certainly is, is permissible. But there's another level 
and another level and another level that keep kind of going up from that that require nothing less than jumping out of the airplane. Except the difference, the only difference I would say is that um, there is no parachute. And so when the, you know, the, the jump happens and there is no parachute, what happens upon landing is a total rebirth and reorganization. Yet, you don't die. I mean, you die to separation. You die to that separate self-sense. But you walk through the street differently. We talk differently. Our view of the world is different because we have actually taken that, taken that leap if, you know, depending on, again, on our level of practice, but that really is kind of, I mean, that's, that's where the, uh, that's the gift that all of these men and women, these ancients gave us. They pointed us in that very direction. Jump off the cliff. Don't worry. Everything will be different, but don't just trust me on this one. This is where faith comes into the whole, the whole thing. And I really personally have a hard time, and that was one of the things that kind of kept me from a lot of the different uh, uh, wisdom traditions was this idea of, I will be saved. Okay, As long as I do this, that I'm saved. What this practice, Buddhism specifically, talks about, Advaita Vedanta Hinduism talks about, is sit still and watch what happens. No, really sit still and watch what happens and you do that with a group of people and you do it with a teaching and you do it with a teacher and it's amazing what kind of unfolds we all then become teachers all we got to do is just jump out of the airplane is that a good title kathy jumping out of the airplane you think maybe <laughs> just happens you know yeah <laughs> jump out of the entirely perfect airplane. Yeah, Perfectly good airplane. Perfectly good. <laughs> the question is about if, um, when you were saying that we don't actually die, but it's my experience that actually that's the fear that's, that you do die in order to be able to go to that next place because something has to die to, to jump off the cliff. Exactly. So my question is, is um, with each, um, as I find that I go to that next, the next level or the next level. And um, in moving to that next level, is that the, also just in, inside um, one night of sitting, to be able to um, release the fear and let that death happen, to be able to go to the next level? Do you think that that is somewhat accurate? I think it's very accurate. Okay. It's consciously consciously allowing for that fear to come up in every form mm -hmm. and refusing to move. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what yeah? you're It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be okay. I, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and, and what happens is we, that, that goes back to what uh, Jason's mm -hmm. point of the faith. So many people have done this. Every single Buddha is practicing with me in this moment. Mm -hmm. No matter what pain you are feeling, it has been felt. This isn't easy. Awakening is not easy. But I'll tell you, the way to get there is to face the fear fully. 
with total relaxation without trying to change anything, without running from it, meeting it fully. And in that, in that strength, that's what we mean by th for those who have the strength to touch it. That's what Plotinus was saying. All that strength takes is that, just that refusal to move, you know? Not getting caught by not moving, not attaching to not moving, but being totally intimate, dancing with stillness, dancing with not, move, with not moving. And I know these words make no sense, you know, but it's past the words. And scripturally, like the more you start reading, the more you go, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Beautiful question. Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. You want me to read the quote again? Plotinus? Sure. He said, um, it has not deserted to be apart from its creation. It, always, it is always present to those who have the strength.